don't be afraid of risk, but understand that there are different profiles of risk. Some people think that without risk, there's no reward, and that's not true. There are some risks that have much more downside potential, and there are other risks that have very little downside potential. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success real estate and follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow Up Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Best ever listeners, I'm excited to introduce you to our newest host that we're bringing on to the team. His name is Slocum Reed, along with myself and Ash. Slocum will be providing value to every interview he does. I've known Slocum for years and I've watched his portfolio continue to grow he currently owns and operates 65 units, including converting three units into an office building. So he's an owner-operator. He's coming from certainly a different perspective than I have. I know he's going to bring his expertise and cut through the fluff and get the best real estate investing advice ever for you. So welcome, Slocum Reed. Best ever listeners, welcome to Cincinnati's best ever real estate investor mastermind. We are here recording live at our local real estate investor meetup here in Cincinnati that happens almost always on the last Tuesday of the month from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Deer Park Community Center. And we hope you all have the opportunity to visit us in Cincinnati and join us at the meetup. Our guest for the episodes today and for our meetup is Glenn Kukla. Glenn is the owner of Kukla Capital Partners, a boutique real estate development company and alternative investment fund with about $4 million in net asset value. He has 25 years of real estate development and finance experience, over $50 million in real estate projects developed and or finance. He's served on several local government boards and Glenn has been investing and developing real estate for over 25 years and has grown and privately held his investment fund over 40% annually since 2009. Glenn, can you give us a bit more about your background and what you're focused on currently? 
Sure. With real estate or my other career? With the real estate. Okay, sure. Um, we'll get to the other career. All right. So it's hard to start in the middle without going back. But currently, like I said, I've got a fund of it's essentially self-made money that I use to invest in some real estate, some in the stock market, some in hard money lending. And I believe strongly in diverse asset allocation. One of the things that Slocum asked me about earlier on in this process was talk about how you survive the market crash. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, you know, if there's one sort of piece of advice I would give anybody just off the street for two seconds, it's don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, if you've got a little bit of capital or even your time or whatever skills you have, try to do multiple things with that, not all just on one thing. So the fund that I have, we've got some money in real estate that we've purchased, some money in the stock market, and some money, frankly, we're just holding in cash because right now is a bit of a risky time. We've seen um, a correction in the stock market. We've seen correction in crypto. There may be correction in real estate, hopefully not, but it's always good to have some of your money in cash. So that's essentially what the fund does. It just looks for opportunities to grow itself, but generally I like to make money for myself and other people. So most of the things that I invest in involve bringing in other partners, other investors, finding creative ways to do deals where you've got a motivated seller, but they don't want to leave too much money on the table. So you say, okay, I'll pay you something now, but I'll also pay you something later when I make money so that we make money together. It's a lot of deals that when I purchase a piece of real estate, I'm not just buying it and saying, see you later. I'm never going to talk to you again. It's here's a check now and I'll give you a check in about 12 months. You said a piece of real estate. Give us some examples of some of your development deals. Sure. The guy that used to deliver my Christmas trees, he lives in Lachlan. I live in Kentucky. And every year he'd drop off a Christmas tree and he would tell me about how he has this little cute garden center. He runs out of this big old nasty warehouse in Lachlan. And every year I could just tell he was like a little more depressed and more struggling about what he was doing. He was also a realtor. So he was doing that full time and doing gotcha. as well as a realtor, but running this little garden center was his passion. And uh, he would always drop off the Christmas tree and set it up. It was great. One year he's like, oh, I need to get rid of my building. You want to buy a building? I'm like, well, I, I love buying buildings. As an aside, I assume everyone here is probably a motivated buyer. I mean, we've got realtors, we've got investors. Is there if you're some... a motivated seller, talk to me first. No, me, me. I'll give you my business I was going to say, where's the motivated seller meetup? Where can I <laughs> right? sneak into that one? I don't think there is a motivated seller I don't, meetup. I don't advertise that one publicly. Yeah. We're all looking for those motivated sellers. So my Christmas tree delivery guy who ran his little garden center out of this big warehouse in Lachlan, turns out he was a motivated seller one day. And motivated sellers- How big was the warehouse? It was 21,000 square feet, and it sat on two-thirds of an acre. And it's in... right there- in Lachland. Lachland. Uh, tell our listeners what you think of when you think of Lachlan in a warehouse there. Most people would probably say it's pretty crappy, but there are green shoots in Lachlan. There's a lot of activity going on with the GE plant that is investing a lot of money in itself. ODOT, Ohio Department of Transportation, is putting, I don't know, like a billion dollars into roof straightening out. Are those developments things that were happening when you bought the warehouse? No. They were uh, maybe a mile up the road, mile down the road. So I saw some potential. Gotcha. But worst case scenario, I'm like, I might not make any money on this. So when he said, I want you to buy my warehouse, I said, well, let's go through and look at it. I mean, the roof is caving in. He had work orders. He was really distressed. He was really stressed out. His wife was saying, you got to sell this property, get rid of it. The city was threatening to throw him in jail. And he was doing the best he could. He just didn't have the means to maintain the warehouse. And his business was going under. So motivated seller, physically distressed property, spousally distressed seller. Exactly. And now we're all salivating. That's, that's what we look for, right? Right. Well, well, tell us what happened next. You bought it. Did you pay cash? Did you finance? Was it creative financing? Well, it was creative financing. So I knew that there was some money on the table he didn't want to let go, but I knew I didn't want to overpay for it in the beginning 
because it wasn't worth anything. I didn't want to overpay and have something that's worth zero. So I said, I'll give you $10,000 now for this 21,000 square foot warehouse sitting on two thirds of an acre. But when I turn it around and sell it, and I have a track record of that, we'll split the money somewhere between a 33% and 50%. So we have thirdsies or halves and halves. And depending on how long it takes and what kind of brain damage I have to go through, he said, okay. So I actually PayPal'd his wife the $10,000 just in earnest before he even signed a document. Like, look, I trust you. Here's the money. And you took title to the property. I took title to the property. Okay. Did he remain on title or have a lien or anything like that? Just your word that he'd get paid out? We did a memo. At that point, he was trusting me and I did put it right. I think memos are a good tool because they're not binding, but at least it's that we are on the same totally. page. You know, wait, did you say this? Did I say that? No, totally. if you put it in a memo, it's not as intimidating as something that's legally binding, but at least we can trust each other that much more. Yeah. So you own it now for 10 grand and a memo that you'll give a third or a half of the proceeds to the previous owner. And then what did you? Well, there was one more thing that I promised him. I okay. think that really sealed the deal. And this is what sealed it with his wife. I said, I will indemnify you from any other liens that come against you. If the city tries to fine you for anything else, I'll indemnify you from any other creditor that's associated with this building. They're going to have to go through me. Um, and that indemnification was just more of a gentleman's handshake, but it was also in that memo. So it was kind of that gotcha. piece of mind that I brought him. You know, you've got a crappy piece of property. You need to get rid of it. This thing is stressing you out. I'm going to take it off your hands right now. I'm going to give you money now. I'm going to give you money later. And from this moment forward, you're indemnified. Anyone messes with you, they got to mess with me first. That's awesome. So we bought the building for $10,000. I ended up putting about another 60 or 70, well, all told about 100,000 in stabilizing the roof, going to the village of Lockland and asking for a vacant building maintenance license, which they didn't even know what that was. <laughs> City of Cincinnati has yeah. that. So I pulled the code from Cincinnati and said, okay, Lachlan, you want me to do this. Act like a big kid now. Yep, act like a big kid. So we stabilized the building and then started just putting the word out on the street that um, it was for sale. Hamilton County Development Corporation contacted me and they were worried that I was going to be a slumlord. And they were uh, pleased when I told them I was a greedy capitalist looking to do something nice. Um, But the first thing that I told the community was, I want to do something with this building that is good for the community. I don't want to sell it to the first offer. I don't want to sell it to the highest paying person who's going to do something crappy for the community. Did you market market it for sale publicly? No, didn't even get to that point. Uh, A realtor came to me out of the woodwork. I, I called about 10 of the stakeholders in the community, the city manager, other landlords, um, you know, different development organizations, putting the word out. And within, I think, two weeks, somebody from JLL, which is a commercial broker, called me saying, I represent Pepper Construction. They're looking for new um, headquarters. They're renting in Blue Ash. They want a marquee building that has some kind of historic story, and they're interested in your building. It took about six months to work through the deal with them. They wanted to lowball me. I wanted to have all them. So we kind of met in the middle. So I ended up selling the building to them for about three hundred and forty thousand, and you were all in for a hundred. I was in for about a hundred. So, so call it two forty. Mm-hmm. How much did the former seller get out of that? You got a third of that. You got a third of it. Yep. Nice. I understand as well. I know we'll talk about the recession more later, but you were in a pretty big building downtown when the recession hit. Yes. Several buildings. Several buildings. Yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you were doing in 07, 08 when that happened. Uh, and give us a taste of how you got yourself out of that situation. I was involved in a uh, partnership. We owned several apartment buildings and we were developing condos. We were kind of over leveraged. A lot of people back in 2007 and 2008 were when the recession what, hit. What does kind of over leveraged mean? 
Um, <laughs> it means you owe more than what your stuff is worth. Gotcha. And, and was that as the market was crashing that that happened or? It was actually before the market. We okay. were just not as, we just weren't good managers of, of our portfolio as we should have been. And then when the market crashed, it just got worse. Rents went down, vacancies went up, some condo products we had, people stopped selling, buyers were handing back their deposits. What kinds of buildings were these downtown? So these were historic multifamilies, so 25 units, 50 units with some storefronts on the first floor and apartments above. Gotcha. And we're talking about central business districts. Central business, yeah. Like Those are, right that, by the Paul Brown Stadium. This would be the most in-demand real estate in the city now. Oh, yeah. 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 15 I mean, 2008, you know, later. Cincinnati was emerging, but it wasn't, it was somewhat in-demand. But when the recession happened in 2008, 2009, uh, the money dried up, the rents went down, vacancies went up. So we didn't have enough money to pay the bank. So we had to default on loans. Gotcha. Default on loans, give the properties back essentially. Well, we didn't want to, because once you're invested emotionally, you don't want to give them back. So here's how you negotiate. If you ever find yourself where you have to default on a loan, you don't have enough money. And it's finally that D day where you're like, oh crap, I can't pay my mortgage. I fought hard to not have to get to this point, but I'm going to have to not pay my mortgage. First thing you do is you call your bank and say, I'm not going to pay my mortgage. You don't run and hide. You'd be very transparent. And you say, this is exactly the situation I'm in. More times than not, the bank will actually view you as the best person to manage that property because you're the one that developed it. You own it. You know your tenants. You know where all the bodies are buried. You know where all the keys are. You can actually be an asset and an ally to the bank. I can't pay your mortgage but I can still protect the asset. Let's find a way to work it out together. And that's what we did. We went to all the banks. We said, we can't pay our mortgages, but here's the income Did all statement. the banks agree to that? About a third of them said, we'll take the keys and took them over. About two thirds of the banks said, okay, you send in whatever you can send in and demonstrate to us that you're doing a good job, as good a job as you can managing the property. And we'll accept a cash flow mortgage, a partial payment. And the rest we're going to, uh, it's, um, forbearance. So the part that you don't pay, they just add to the principal. So your, your principal balance actually goes up because you're not paying it down and you're not paying interest. So forbearance whatever. is a term we're a lot more familiar with now than we were two years ago. Yeah. And a lot of people sure. were very familiar with it in 2008. So the key to surviving any kind of recession, whether it's a macro recession that we would all go through if the market ever corrected or crashed, or just something personal that you're going through is go to your bank and say, this is exactly what's happened. Would you please work with me? I'm actually the best person to keep managing the property. I want to own it long-term. I need a forbearance. I need to refinance. I need some kind of help here. This is primarily a commercial real estate podcast, but we have a lot of residential investors in the room. Correct me if I'm wrong. Expound on this for me, Glenn. We're really talking about the kind of communication that you want to have with a commercial lender. You're talking about Commercial lending is much more relationally driven. So these are people who know you much better than Wells Fargo does, for example. And these are people who they've decided to bet on your success by giving you this loan in a way that a residential mortgage lender who just punches numbers into a computer and gets a yes or no spat out. Those are not the people that we're talking about going back to and saying, hey, my four family is not working out. Work with me. We're talking about lenders with whom you had taken the time to develop relationships with already who you had demonstrated your track record too. So they were much more willing to look out at the broader landscape of commercial real estate during the recession and realize you're not making your payment, but you're still probably the best person to help us, the bank, make good on this loan. Mm -hmm. Is that all correct? Yeah, it's very correct. All of the lenders that we negotiated with were local people. Um, well, because like you said, in commercial lending, these are local people that develop that relationship. 
We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. What's holding you back from getting into apartment building deals? Is it knowledge, fear, inability to take action, lack of support? If it's any of these things, then I suggest you consider Deal Maker Mentoring with Michael Blanc. Michael's program is the most effective program to help you syndicate your first apartment building deal. During Deal Maker Mentoring, you'll work directly with one of Michael's experienced mentors who have successfully replaced their income with apartment buildings. They've already done what you want to do, which is become financially free. So in addition to providing their own syndication experience, They've been trained in Michael's unique deal maker blueprint designed to help you do your first deal and become financially free just like them in the next one to three years. To find out more, text the word Joe to 66866. I know Michael's going to get you to where you'd like to be again. Text the word Joe to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind and let's get you started with your own syndication business. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Your investment fund, did you say that it's an exclusive of your capital or do you raise capital for that? Right now it's my capital. At some point we would raise capital, but then you get an SEC regulations yep. and a whole nother level of accountability where if you use someone else's money and it goes down, how do you deal with telling someone else that you've lost? I mean, I can tell my wife I lost money because she trusts me, but if I had to tell you, you'd probably kick my ass. So it's, well, like, it's a whole different level of accountability. That I don't know if I'm like, someday I might. If you do lose my money, Glenn, please call me and say, hey, Slocum, I'm not going to be making my payment this time. Right. Work with me, huh? <laughs> work with me on this. Better yet, give me more money. Yeah. And one third of the time I'll ask for the keys. What has been your largest development deal to date? So we developed Parker Flats, which is a condo building on the corner of 4th and Central. And we broke ground, I think, in 2005 and started selling the first condos in 2007. Great timing uh, when the market crashed in 2008. Uh, But Parker Flats, you actually see it if you're in Paul Brown Stadium and you look northwest, sometimes you even see it on TV. It's the very last building in the skyline of downtown. So it's on the yeah. corner of 4th and Central, right across from what used to be Tina's Lounge. Which is it's a pretty lounge. important part of the skyline now. Yeah. So yeah. that was 51 condominium units on top of a three-story parking garage. It was my idea to buy the land from the city. So we own the apartment building next door. Um, again, this is when I was involved with a partnership of four equal partners called Middle Earth back in the 2000s. So we owned an apartment building next door and we were renting the parking lot next door from the city of Cincinnati. We went to them one day and said, give us this parking lot and we promise to build condos and we'll increase the tax base, and bring more people downtown. And they fell in love with the, product, with the idea and the proposal. So they gave us the parking lot for free. 
We borrowed money from then uh, LaSalle Bank. They're the ones that also financed that one office building, Office 71, that was rusting for about four years by Kenwood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they were just throwing money out. They're like, LaSalle Bank back in 2000, here, take money, take money, take money. And that's part of what caused that 2007, 2008 crash. So we only had a 25% pre-sale requirement, which is pretty low on condos. So we uh, built the Parker Flats, which, gosh, I mean, really, it ended up being an 11-story building, but each story was a loft. So it was like five double stories in this thing. And then the top story was a one-story penthouse um, of two units. And what's crazy at the time, I think the total construction cost for 55 units was only $11 million. Now it probably cost $30 million to build. We sold about half of the units. And then when the market crashed, that's one where we wanted the bank to take it back because it wasn't cash flowing and there was mm. no light at the end of the tunnel for us. So we called the bank and said, would you just please take this off our hands? And they said, sure. And they literally just said, give us the keys. We're not going to ding your credit. It's funny because like that whole time the market crashed, my credit didn't get dinged except for one little crappy loan that I co-signed with an out-of-town lender. Like you're talking somebody who oh, wasn't yeah. local totally. and they trashed our credit. My credit went all to hell. I mean, my credit got down to like 520 back in 2008, 2009 from one loan that I co-signed, even though we defaulted on 10 other loans that we didn't mean to default. We just didn't have the money. Nobody had money back then. Everybody was losing their butts. Banks were working with people, but it's because we were transparent and worked with those lenders that they gave us that second chance. What about your largest successful development deal? Parker Flats is pretty well known now, especially with people who live or are familiar with downtown. And if it weren't for macroeconomic factors, I imagine that would have gone very differently. Tell us about your largest deal that did go well. So we developed the Mark's Cromer Warehouse Lofts, which is 41 apartments and 10,000 square feet of commercial storefront and a parking lot with about 30 spaces in downtown Newport. And I found that by driving around with an intern and a notepad, looking at buildings. And you all know this, if you see long grass or a broken window, you're like, that guy might be a motivated seller. I better call him. So it was a building that was all tore up. And I was like, okay, but that's a big building. That's a big, beautiful warehouse. You can use historic tax credits for things like warehouses and new market tax credits. So my background in financing, I know where all these extra pots of government money are. So when we saw that warehouse in Newport, I told the intern, pull over, I'm going to run into the city of Newport building. And I ran into the city of Newport building. I said, who's your zoning administrator? And they said, a guy named Greg Tully. And Greg Tully pops out. And you know who Greg Tully is, Garth. He's also a drummer in a band. So we had a musical connection. I said, Greg, what's going on with that building? And he said, well, the housing authority was trying to develop it, but they can't get their funding. So it's probably going to go for sale tomorrow. Do you guys want it? I said, hell yeah, we want it. So we ended up buying it for, again, when it's owned by a municipality, you can usually pick these things up pretty cheap. If you make the pitch, you're going to increase taxes and you know, eliminate blight and that kind of thing. So we renovated the Marks Cromer warehouse, which was formerly a furniture factory and turned it into 41 apartments, 10,000 square feet of storefront. We put about $5 million in it. Chase was the lender. We used federal historic credits, state historic credits, new market credits. When was this? This was 2006. Oh, six. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when we renovated it and went online right at 2008. Again, the terrible timing. So we had this $5 million mortgage on this big, beautiful building we just renovated. We're starting to rent apartments. They're starting to fill up. The market takes a crap and the rentals slow down. And we had to default on the mortgage. The mortgage converted to a uh, amortizing mortgage. So the mortgage payment's, you know, $12,000 a month. And we don't have $12,000 a month in rent. And none of our rentals are generating money. So again, we went to the bank and said, okay, this is really bad timing, but we're not going to be able to pay the mortgage. We're going to send in what we got and we're going to keep 8% for management fees to pay for the insurance, pay for a leasing agent. The bank said, okay, that's fine because they were all doing that. So we dropped the rents and made sure that the whole building was stabilized. We leased it up as well as we could. We just made sure that we want to stabilize this property, get it leased up, got it leased up, got all the storefronts rented, still negatively cash flowing. 
Chase Bank sells the note to some capital company for about 20 cents on the dollar. And then four years later, we buy it back for 40 cents on the dollar. So we ended up owning a $5 million building for about $2.5 million after that whole recession. And what I learned from recessions is that they're very chaotic and with chaos brings opportunity. So if you ever find yourself going through anything like that, somehow you might land on your feet and actually you might be better off. That's a great story. Yeah. So we ended up developing a $5 million property and only paying two and a half million dollars for it through that whole nearly going bankrupt process. Yeah. That's exciting. What kinds of projects are you working on right now? So I own a school building over in Arlington Heights. It's 15,000 square feet. It sits on an acre and a half. It's in an opportunity zone, which means that there's some advantages to using deferred capital gains. We're going to market that probably in the spring, kind of taking a slow approach. Commercial property is a much slower process than buying and flipping a house. Buying and flipping a house, you want to buy it, you want to flip it, you want to sell it in four months. Commercial properties sometimes take three to five years. So you bought this for the sake of reselling it. Yeah. Okay. You just got a good deal, found an off-market seller. Tell us about it. So once we sold the Stearns and Foster warehouse, the one that I bought from the Christmas tree guy, and we sold it to Pepper Construction, they are putting $8 million into the deal and they are bringing $2.3 million in payroll to Lachlan. So Lachlan was super happy and they said, we've got this school down the street. Could you do the same thing to it? And they said, we'll give it to you for a dollar. So I effectively bought the building for a dollar. And I actually paid $20,000 for the building because I thought it would be more politically okay. Why are they giving away <laughs> buildings for a dollar to this guy? Like, okay, we don't want that story getting out there. So I voluntarily paid $20,000 for a building that I could have paid a dollar for. $19,999 for good PR. Exactly. It's 19,000 PR. So now we own the building and we're going to put together a marketing plan with some renderings and essentially look for the unicorn tenant, which would be your company or maybe another developer who wants to either joint venture or just simply buy it. Not necessarily ideal scenario, but what kind of tenant are you expecting What kind of rent are you expecting? And then if you're looking to sell afterwards, what are you expecting to be able to sell this building for? It really depends what the tenant needs. That's kind of hard to answer because each tenant is a unicorn. In, In commercial property, tenants are like unicorns. Each one is different. So for the Arlington School, likely it would be somebody who needs distribution. So we would build a high bay warehouse attached to the school or it might be a company like a plumber or an electrician who wants to locate their offices there, or just some local medium-sized business, and they would either buy it from me. I mean, I'd probably sell it for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Hopefully, the buyer is not listening to this podcast because yeah. I'd ask for more at first. But um, <laughs> That's not know. a bad return on your $1 purchase and sure. marketing budget. That's opportunity cost. But I mean, yeah. I, you know, I consider selling it for a couple hundred thousand dollars, but I'd really like to joint venture where maybe they would hire me to be the developer. We would renovate the building. We would add on a new warehouse, and then I would lease it back to them. Maybe they would lease it for five years with the option to buy it at some predetermined amount. Gotcha. What would you say are your top lessons learned from your 25 years of experience? Oh gosh. Well, surround yourself with good people, which is why we're all here. We're all here to network and meet some good people. Diversify your assets. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And don't be afraid of risk, but understand that there are different profiles of risk. Some people think that without risk, there's no reward. And that's not true. There are some risks that have much more downside potential. And there are other risks that have very little downside potential. So as an asymmetric bets, asymmetric bets, exactly. It's that yeah. um, low downside, lots of upside. Yep. Heads. I win a lot. Tails. I lose a little. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say look for investment opportunities that have 
little downside. Warren Buffett's famous for saying that he only follows two rules. One, don't lose money. And rule number two is see rule number one, don't lose money. So think of your capital as something not that you first want to grow, but that you don't want to lose. Look for investment opportunities that have very little downside before you look for the upside. Real You're, estate, by the way, is a great place to invest because even if you overpay for something, eventually it's probably going to catch up in the value. And you were just talking about, John, you did a deal where the investor overpaid and then they ended up having to go to closing and put money into it. But eventually, even if you overpay, you wait and you wait and you wait and time will increase the value of your asset. That's why I love real estate. Glenn, you're a natural storyteller. The common thread that I'm hearing in all of your stories, thinking about what may be the most important skill that you're sharing with us right now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a natural relationship builder. And the stories that you're telling about your successes, but also mitigating failure come down to you built a relationship, that relationship resulted in someone who wanted to sell you a building, mm -hmm. someone, the guy who delivers your trees or the city of Lachlan, or someone who wanted to give you a loan based on the relationship that you built with them. And those relationships have not only led to your biggest successes, but also those are the things that helped you stay afloat in the recession when a lot of other investors drowned. Would you say that building relationships with key people is the most important skill that you've developed over 25 years in real estate investing? 100%. Well, that's one of the most important. Okay. Uh, it's tied for one of the tops. But yeah, every good real estate deal that I've ever done was a result of a good connection I made with a person. What about other skills? Understanding financing, understanding risk, just understanding the law, how to release, developing some bravery not being afraid to take a chance. This is really good stuff. I feel like I could ask you questions for another hour, <laughs> but are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, let's do it. What is the best ever book you've recently read? All I read is children's books. So um, they, my son just got a book about every creature has a butt. So probably that one. <laughs> every creature has a butt. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing the title, but yeah, every, everybody has a butt. Great. <laughs> what is your best ever way to give back? Charity is a good way to give back. I give my wife back rubs at least three times a week. So investing in your family, investing in your friends, investing, investing in, in your... people. I mean, really the best way to give back is to invest in your friends and your family. Time. Awesome. And what is your best ever advice? I don't know. <laughs> there is no best ever advice. There's so much different good advice to give. You've given a lot of okay, excellent advice. My best advice ever advice already. would be that old school photo, or that old school Xerox that you see in offices and it's the frog choking the stork the frog is about ready to die and get swallowed by the stork. And it says, don't give up. And that, you know, just never give up what you do. Just, you know, stay focused and work hard. And if you never give up, things will work out. Awesome. Well, thank you, Glenn. And thank you, best ever listeners for tuning in. If you got some value out of this conversation with Glenn, please follow and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with someone who you think would receive a lot of value from listening to what Glenn has shared with us today. Thank you and have a best ever day.